0: Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. We give you all the praise. We bless your holy name. We adore you, Lord. We give you all the honor and all the praise. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be here in your presence. Lord, as we are gathered here, we pray that you speak to our hearts. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. We're going to talk about Christian disciplines. And today, the discipline we are going to talk about is corporate worship. Corporate worship. So in Hebrews chapter eleven verse twenty three. All right, Hebrews chapter eleven verse twenty three to twenty five. The Bible says, "Let us hold fast the confession confession of our faith, without wavering. For he who promised is faithful." And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approach. This scripture is talking about us meeting and having regular fellowship. The Bible says that, We should not ignore, we should not forsake the gathering of ourselves together. We should meet regularly. We should have fellowship. And in that fellowship, what the Bible wants us to do is that we exhort one another and we encourage one another. We provoke one another unto good works. We provoke one another unto love. We provoke one another into the image of Christ. So the Bible says, more so, it's more important. That as we see the day approaching, meaning that as we see the end coming, we should be eager to have fellowship. We should be eager to have fellowship and to meet as an assembly. The thing is, when you think about this scripture, that the scripture pointed out that as we see the day approaching, as we see the end coming, then we have to be eager to have fellowship. But one thing that we see, comparing what the Bible is saying to what we're experiencing now, is that as the day is approaching, the interest of people in gathering and assembling and in fellowship is is diminishing. People don't want to fellowship. People, People don't want to come in to have church anymore. And right now we have technology that is helping us spread the gospel, which is very good. But the same technology, if not managed properly, can affect our meeting together and our assembling together as a church. But the Bible instructs us that as we see the day approaching, we should be eager to come together, meet and assemble and have fellowship. Now, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and personal Savior, we become part of a kingdom. The Bible says that, you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood a holy nation his own special people that you may proclaim the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light so once we accept jesus christ as our lord and personal savior we become part of a kingdom and you see the thing about a kingdom is that in a kingdom there is no democracy The reason why we don't sometimes understand what the Bible is saying is that sometimes we don't look at the things the Bible is saying out of the lenses of the people who wrote the Bible or the people that the Bible was written to. At that time, they didn't have presidents. They didn't have all this. They had had a king. And the king was in charge of everything. Everything the king says is final. When they were writing it. So when they wrote the scripture and they said, We are peculiar people we are a kingdom the writer had that in mind that we are a kingdom and we have one king and whatever the king says is final so in christianity unfortunately our generation will not love this in christianity there is no democracy our generation loves democracy (laughs) we want to have a say in everything that goes on we want to be able to disagree and agree but you see once you submit to the lordship of jesus christ when you say that you are my lord what you are saying is that whatever you say is final i don't argue i i whatever suggestion i have does not matter and you see the thing, the good thing about this kingdom is that we know that our king is a king who is love bible says god is love and there's nothing he would do that is going to hurt us <clears throat> whatever he does is in our interest it's in our best interest and so when we submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and we, beca- we become part of the kingdom, we do not have the option to choose to obey some of, the, some of the things the Bible say and then reject some of the things the Bible say. But once we say, Jesus, you are my Lord, then we are saying that the, Jesus Christ, you have the final authority over my life. Whatever you say is final in my life. And so... You find people, I, I, I put at this point, because you find people who, when you, you talk to them, they will tell you, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe in going to church. I'm a Christian, but I don't believe I should go to church. I only worship in my room, read my Bible, and I'm fine. You are not fully obeying the gospel, because Jesus Christ said, when Jesus Christ said, I'm going to come to that, I don't want to jump, but Jesus Christ said, I am going to build my church. The word church there is Ecclesia, which means assembly of people. And so when he says, I am going to build my church, he's going to build his people. He's going to build the assembly of his people together. And his people were going to come together to worship. Amen. And so when Jesus said he was going to build his church, he's going to build each and every one of us who is part of the church that he is going to build. One thing that I wanted to mention earlier on, you see, in, in the book of Acts, when Saul was fighting against the church and was crucif- um, um, had persecuting the people in the church, when he encountered Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ said, why do you persecute me? He didn't say, why do you persecute the church? He said, why do you persecute me? And Paul said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And so whatever thing you do against the church, you are doing it against Christ. When he he met Paul, he didn't say, why are you persecuting my people? Or why are you persecuting my followers? He says, why are you persecuting me? And so whatever thing you do against the church of, of Christ, you are doing it against him. Because the Bible says the church is the body of Christ. So anything you do against the church, you are doing it against him. And with that understanding, I want us to be very careful in our criticisms against the church. We have to be very careful. The things we say against the church. You see, the Bible says that, Who are you to judge another man's servant? To his master he falls or he rises. And so you mind your business. Do your what you are supposed to do. When you have the opportunity to teach, teach the, teach the truth. In a place where, the, where people are teaching error, where they are misleading people, when you have the space and you have the opportunity or you get into contact with those people, teach the right thing. That is what you're supposed to do. But we have to be careful because we will not fully understand everything. So we might take one part of the story and speak against the church. If Jesus Christ takes persecution against the church as persecution against him, then criticisms against the church is criticisms against him. And so we have to be careful. That's just by the way. But what I, the point I was trying to make here is that Jesus Christ said that he will build his church and we are the ones He is going to use to build his church. And the scripture we read earlier said that as we see the day approaching, we should not forsake the gathering of ourselves together. So when you come to Jesus Christ, you have become part of the kingdom where God is the king. And everything God says is final and we obey. And it's easy for us to obey God because we know He's a loving Father. And there's nothing that He will say that is going to hurt us. And so as you submit to His Lordship, you know that He's going to lead you the right way. Amen. When Israel, the desire that God had for Israel was that He was going to become their king. And they were going to become His subject. And that is what we have now as believers. The Bible says we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that will show forth the praise of him who called us. So as believers, we have that place now where he is our God and we are his people. And so when the people of Israel rejected God, let me read from the book of Samuel. First Samuel, the Bible says that, and it came to pass when Samuel was old, That he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of the firstborn was Joel. The name of the second was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in in his way. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. Then the elders of Israel gathered together and, and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old. Your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like the other nations. Israelites wanted to be like the other nations. And so they came to Samuel and they said, Look, Samuel was one of the best judges that Israel ever had. In In his old age, when he was about to die, he told them, come to me. He assembled all the people together. Everybody was there. And he says that if I have taken anything from any bride from any person here, the person should raise their hand. Nobody raised their hands. He, and he said, if I, have done, if I have been dishonest in dealing with any issue here, the person should, that person should raise their hands. And nobody raised their hands. so Samuel was one of the best judges that Israel ever had. But his sons were wayward. And they couldn't follow after their father. And so because his sons could not follow after their father, Israel said, okay, look, all the nations around us, they have kings. And so give us a king." And this thing did not please God. And Samuel was also not happy. Because God wanted to be the king over Israel. He didn't want Israel to be like the other nations. How many times do believers want to be like other people or be like secular people? We should know that if we belong to God and we belong to the kingdom of God, we cannot be like the other people. We, in fact, we are not supposed to be like the other people. Have you ever seen an unbeliever talk about a Christian and say, I told you were a Christian? Even though the, Christ- the unbeliever is doing the same thing a yeah, Christian I is mean, doing. <laughs> See how you can join an unbeliever to do something and you're like, I told you were a Christian. Even though the two of you are doing it together. So they don't expect you to be like them. <laughs> <laughs> unbelievers don't expect Christians to be like them. And so don't try to be like unbelievers. We, are, we belong to the kingdom of God. And God is our king. And so, verse 6, the Bible says, But this thing displeased Samuel. When they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to God, to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people. In all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me. So God said, Samuel, listen to the people. So this is like the people are praying for a king. And God said, okay, I'm going to answer your prayer. But that wasn't the perfect will of God. But he answered their prayer. They wanted a king. So he gave them a king. He Gave them someone to be king. But that wasn't the plan of God. God was preparing a man after his own heart to become king over Israel. But they went ahead of God and they asked for a king. And so God said, they have not. The point I want to pick from here for our, our, our discussion today is that God said, they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me. That is an example of the kingdom of God. That if you step out of the kingdom, you are not just rejecting a man, but you are rejecting God. And if God is, a, if, if, is the king of this kingdom, whatever he says is final. And one of the instructions the Bible tells us is we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as believers. It should be part of our, 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 our weekly lives that we come into the gathering of believers. We join in fellowship. It should be part of the disciplines that we keep for ourselves and for our families. You see, God made it the task of the parent to teach their children. And so what that means is that every parent is responsible to pass on their um, um, to pass on Christian discipline and Christian traits and the word of God to their parent. It's not the, it is not the duty of the teachers. It is not the duty of the school. It is, not the duty of the, <laughs> it is not the duty of the Sunday school. It is the duty of the parent to pass it on to generations. So one of the things that the devil is trying to do now is to empower young people, set them up against their parents. So they don't listen to their parents. And that is one of the things that has not been, that Christians have not been very effective with. Passing on our beliefs to to the next generation. Because if every Christian parent passed on their beliefs to their kids, what you would expect is that the kingdom of God should expand. And the kids should not grow up, not knowing anything about God, not knowing anything about the Bible. And so, this is one of the disciplines that we have to instill in our family members, it has to be part of us keeping the assembly of the people. And it's one of the things that we, we saw with the local uh, with the early church. The Bible says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. This is one of the things that early church did. They had constant fellowship, they were always in fellowship, they continued in their doctrine. That means they continued in the teachings of the apostles and they continued in fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. So the early church, they met Red to pray, to praise God and to have fellowship. That is what kept them moving on because they were being persecuted everywhere. The only place that they could have peace, the only place that they could feel belonged or they could feel like they belonged to a group was in the assembly of the believers. And so they continued in fellowship, And the Bible says, And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And they that believed were together, see, they that believed were together, and had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods and and, um, parted them to all men. And every man, and as every man had need, and they continued daily, with one accord in the temple and in breaking of bread from house to house. They continued daily in one accord in the temple. So the early church, they met daily with one accord, with singleness of heart. There was no division among them. They just came together and they continued daily in the service of God, in worshiping God. This is one of the things that sets the early church apart. Even when they were being persecuted, they were not ashamed to come daily and worship. There was an American evangelist who went to China, I think he went to China, China. Yeah, I think it was China. So an American evangelist went to China. You know, they cannot worship in the open. They have to hide and have their church service. Can you imagine that these people have to hide and have service? And if they are arrested, or if they are seen for coming together to have service, they are going to be jailed, not less than a year. But they still risk it and go into the service and have the worship service. I've heard stories that sometimes one person, they will have one page of the Bible and they will give it to this person to go and read that page for the whole week. And then the next week, he will bring it in and give it to the other person. The other person will read that page for, for that week and then pass it on. And so those people in that church have memorized so many verses in their life. They know the verses. And this American preacher went there and gave them Bibles. He was going to have a seminar with them. He gave them Bibles, but the Bibles were not enough. So, one of the people who was seated in the service, as soon as he saw the the verse that the American preacher was going to read, he gave his Bible to the other person. And then the other person used the Bible. So, after the service, he went to the guy and said, why did you give your Bible out to the person? He said, because I know he has memorized the chapter that he was reading from. And so, he needed the other person to take the verse. And he said, these people traveled two hours to come to the meeting. And this, this story I'm telling you is, is online. You can search. I've forgotten the name, but I, I, I know I shared the story before in another place, but I can't remember the name now. So he, this, the people traveled two hours to the service. They took the whatever transportation, came there, and they were sitting on hard floors for two hours. He had this seminar with them. It was a week-long seminar. And so when he was leaving, he asked them that he asked one of them, that, what do you want me to pray for? I mean, for you guys. And the guy said, we want you to pray that our church meetings will be like your church meetings. And the American, man, the American preacher said, no, I'm not going to pray this prayer. <laughs> I would rather pray that our church meetings will become like your church meetings. Because in America, we have everywhere, but people don't come in. But look at you people, you came here, you sat on hard floors, you joined this service from the beginning, and you guys were hungry for more. And he asked them, he said, all the people who were seated have been to jail before. Most of them, a greater percentage of the people, had been to jail be- before because of their faith. They had been to jail because they were caught, either with the Bible or in church. But yes, still, they still came for service. And so this man said, that I'm not going to pray. I'll try to find the name next week. I want you guys to all read the story for yourself online. He said, I'm not going to pray that our churches become like, that, that your churches become like our churches, but I want our churches to become like your churches. And so we have to understand that the freedom and the liberty we have today to worship and to have church service was fought for. By some people who came ahead of us they fought for it for us to have this freedom and once they pass on the baton to us they expect that we run faster than they did you know when you are in a race and you pass the baton to somebody you expect that the person does better than you have done the people who came who, who came ahead of us they have given us an advantage they have given us They have given us the opportunity to have fellowship and to to be able to meet and have church without being arrested here in the U.S., we can have this liberty. We can decide to join every church service, but I'm sure the believers who came ahead of us fought. There was a man who translated the Bible into a certain language and he paid for it with his life. He was burnt because he translated the Bible. He paid that price to make it available to a certain generation. And we also have to pay a price that we will hand a church over to the next generation that is better than what we came to meet. Because when we are all gone, if Christ tarries, there will be a generation coming up. The question we need to ask ourselves is, are we leaving behind a church that is better than we came to meet? Or are we leaving a church behind that would be worse than what people handed over to us? And that is what should be in our heart. Amen. As we strive to build His church or to join in building His church, our desire should be that we are leaving a church behind that is better than we came to meet. And so, even as... Um, Technology has made so many options available to us. Let's not forsake the gathering of the church. Let's not forsake the gathering of ourselves together. It is very, very important. Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, that I will build my church. I will build my church and the gate of hell shall not prevail over it. And like I said, the church is you and me. Sometimes when we talk about the church, people think that the church is a group of people somewhere who are gathered, who are raising their hands or who are, who are saying they are holy people. But the church is you and I. Every one of us, we are part of the church. And so you see, when you criticize the church, it's like you are criticizing yourself. Because that person who, who identifies as being part of the church, who is doing something wrong, is part of your body. And what we have to do is to pray for those people. Like I said, as I learn and understand more about what the church is, I pray to God that I stop criticizing people and criticizing the church. But I run my race and do what God has assigned me to do. And be able to help and correct as many people that I can, that I am in contact with. But you see, when I sit at my house and I criticize What some other person is doing, it doesn't help that person in any way. And to me, it doesn't help me. Because the Bible says, when you see somebody doing the wrong thing, you who are mature, you correct that person in love. And so if I don't have the opportunity to correct that person, and all I can do is to talk behind that person and say all the things that person is doing wrong, it's of no use to me. It's of no benefit to the body as a whole. It's of no benefit to the person. But we have to pray. For the body of Christ in general. Because Jesus said, I will build my church. And you are the church. You are the ones that Jesus Christ is going to build. I am the church. He's building us together. And as we continue to reflect his image, that is how he's going to build his church. When he says that I'm going to build my church, he's not referring to a church building somewhere he's going to build. He's building his people who are the church, who are going to be his image to the world, who who are going to reflect who Jesus Christ is. And so if Jesus Christ says he's building his assembly of people, but his people stop meeting together, and everybody becomes a lone ranger, and everybody is just on his own, Some people say, I I believe in God, and so I'll stay home, read my Bible, and that is it. I'm okay. I have peace with God. But the Bible says we should not forsake our assembly together. We should not forsake having fellowship together. If Jesus is going to build his church, and he's not on earth today, we are his church. We are the ones he's going to build to reflect his image. In the book of Acts, there was a very interesting story, or something happened when the believers, or when Peter was arrested, Peter, James, and John, when they were arrested. The Bible says, And being let go, they went to their own company. And so, when they were arrested for preaching, for, for praying for the man who was healed, as soon as they let them go, what did they do? They went to their own company. They could have gone anywhere else, but they said, go to their own company, to their own people they went to the other believers and so let's not forsake the gathering of other believers let's not say that when we go to the church the people will talk about us when we go to the church people will criticize us but let us have fellowship with other believers let us have fellowship with others who are like-minded so that we will provoke each other unto good works and unto love so when peter and james and john when they were let go bible says they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them and when they had heard they lifted up their voice to god with one accord and said thou art great god which made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them Who by the mouth of thy servant David had said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? Vain things. And the kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For a truth against thy holy child Jesus, who thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and with the people of Israel, were gathered together for to what whatsoever thy hand had determined. I mean, this was their prayer. That's not the point I'm interested in. Verse 31. The Bible says, And when they had prayed, the place where they were, they were the place, I'm sorry, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they, sparked, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. I don't know why my, my Bible version has changed to Old King James I like reading the new King James. <laughs> so when they were assembled together, the Bible says, and after they had finished praying, they, re- they were empowered by the Holy Spirit and they went out and spoke the word of God with boldness. This was just after Peter, James, and John had been threatened and they had been beaten. And when they were beaten, the Bible says, after they were let go, they went into their, their own people, their own company. And then they told them the things that God had done. How they had killed a man and then they were arrested and beaten. And the Bible says, after that, they all prayed together. And as they prayed together, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they had the boldness to speak the word of God. You see, there is strength in in, in, in numbers. Um, That's the Golden golden State Warriors uh, slogan. (laughs) There There is strength in numbers. And so when we come together, we help each other, we strengthen each other, and we all become bold to go out there and face the world. After the world had persecuted these people and punished them, they came together, they prayed, and the Bible says they, were, they received the Holy Spirit and they went out there to speak the word of God with all boldness. You see, there is something that happens when we are gathered as believers. It goes beyond the preaching and the singing. It goes beyond what we see. But when we are gathered together, the Bible says there is a company of angels that join us. When we are gathered together, the Bible says Jesus Christ himself is there because when we are gathered together, we set a throne, a, 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 a throne for God and he sits on that throne. He is here. And so there's a lot of spiritual activities that goes on in the gathering of the believers that our eyes do not see. But we believe because the word of God says so. So there's a lot of things that happen in our gathering. The Bible says when we gather, he, as we are listening to the word, he's cleansing us from our sins. And so even, that, even when you have not um, confessed that sin, the word of God that you are listening is cleansing you from your sin. And it's helping you and empowering you not to go back to that same sin. And so there's a lot of things that goes on behind the scenes or in the realms of the spirit that we don't see when we gather as believers in the name of Jesus Christ. And that is why, this is it's one of the reasons why we should not forsake the gathering of ourselves together. Today, there's a lot of churches that are struggling to get their members back into the church after COVID. A lot of people have become comfortable. They do everything online. They sit at home give the offering online, join the worship online, and they are okay. They don't want to join the service. And as much as we thank God for technology, technology has helped in spreading the gospel, but we should be careful that it does not deprive us the beautiful assembly of the people together. It is beautiful when we come together. The Bible says, look at how beautiful it it is for brothers to come together in unity. It is, he says, it is there, God commands his blessings. So when we come together, God commands his blessings upon us. And so it is important that we do not forsake the coming together of the believers. This is not part of the script, uh, the, the verses that I wanted to share. But let me just quickly share that with you. Right. Psalm 133. The Bible says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ornament upon the head, upon the head that runs down upon that runs runs down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirt of his garment. So Aaron was the high priest, and he says, Aaron when we come together in unity, it is beautiful and it's like the precious ointment that is the oil, the anointing that runs down from um, Aaron's head into his beard and then to his skirt. And the Bible says, as the dew of Tamon and as the dew that descends upon the mount of Zion, for there the Lord commands the blessings, even life forevermore. So when we gather here together in unity, God commands his blessings upon us. So please, let us not forsake the gathering of ourselves together. Let us not make life become so busy that we forget the discipline of assembling ourselves together as believers. Amen. Amen. Final verse. The Bible says, Now, this that I declare unto you, Now this, in this I declare unto you, I praise you not, that when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worst. This is Paul. Paul started the church in Corinthians and he's writing a letter to them. He said, this thing I'm telling you, I want to tell you that I'm not happy with you, because when you come together as a church, it is not for the better, but for the worse. So, Paul says he's not happy with that. What that means here is when we come together as a church, it must be for the better and not for the worse. It must be for the strengthening of each other. Finally, I was able to switch back. <laughs> All right. So, verse 20. Um, verse 20. Twenty-three. I'm sorry. No, let me. I'm sorry. Let me go back. Let me just read from verse seventeen. Right. So he says. Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better. But for the worse. So Paul is saying that if the church comes together, it must be for the better and not for the worse. It means that if we meet on a Sunday morning. By the time we leave here, somebody should not be discouraged because he had, he came to church. But the person should be strengthened and encouraged. The person must get better leaving the presence of God. So you don't have to leave the presence of God worse than you came in. Amen. He says, "For first of all, when you come." When you gather together as a church i hear there is divisions among you and in part i believe it so paul had a report that this church in corinthians there was divisions among them and paul says i believe it and this i am not happy and so when we come together as believers we must come we must be of one accord there must not be divisions among us and when we come together it is for us to get better when we need and not get worse And so in conclusion, I just want to say that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We are in a kingdom. God is the king. And every instruction that he gives us, we must obey. We must not choose which instructions we want to obey. But we must obey every single instruction that God gives us as our king. And one of the things he expects us to do is that as the days draw near we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And so let's make gathering of the believers part of our disciplines as as Christians. So this, com- this will be the last Christian discipline I'm going to talk about. But um, we have one more. I want to talk about prayer, but I know I've done a teaching on prayer before. So we'll talk about other Christian disciplines later. But then let's pursue the discipline of corporate worship. God expects us to join the corporate worship, to to join the other um, believers, the body of believers, to worship on a regular basis. Amen. Amen. Shall we pray? Father, in Jesus' mighty name, we give you praise. We thank you. We bless your holy name. We adore you, Father. We pray in Jesus' mighty name that you strengthen us. Give us the grace to be obedient to your word. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Any obstructions that stands in our way from joining the corporate worship, we come against it. We pray in Jesus' mighty name that you help us to be obedient to your instructions. Help us, Lord, to be part of your body that you are building in these days. And we pray, Lord, that we'll leave behind a vibrant church. And we will not be the generation that will drop the baton. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. 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 Right.